Welcome. This is uh, Fan for Racing Radio, and we are doing a podcast this week because uh, we have some obligations for this evening, and unfortunately, uh, we're not available. So we wanted to make sure that you got your NASCAR preview for this week, and that's why we put together this podcast on um, Thursday afternoon. Uh, joining me for today's show is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Oh, thank you, Sharon. Good afternoon as we record it, evening when you release it, and morning if that's when you listen to it, whenever you get the chance. So, uh, First off, you mentioned it. I want to thank you, Sharon, and the Fan for Racing team. I know I got some scheduling conflicts and we had to kind of juggle some things, but we are here to bring you this weekly racing preview of Kansas this weekend. Absolutely. This is Thursday, May the 4th, and we are at Kansas this weekend, uh, and we've got a lot to talk about. In our first half hour, we are going to start with some short track news. Then we're going to preview the Arkham and Art Series at Kansas Speedway, uh, and we'll also include the ARCA East and ARCA West series updates. In our second half hour, we're going to comment on the media interview with NASCAR Truck Series points leader Ty Majeski. He's the driver of the number 98 Ford for Thorsport Racing, and um, NASCAR did uh, media interviews uh, Wednesday, yesterday, with both Ben Rhodes and Ty Majeski, and uh, since Ty Majeski is, our, is the points leader in the series, I thought we'd listen to his interview and then make our comments. Afterward, we're going to preview the NASCAR Truck Series race at Kansas, and in our third half hour, we're going to update the Xfinity Series and then preview the NASCAR Cup Series race at Kansas uh, during that third half hour. Of course, we hope you all stay for, uh, tuned for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with the Fan for Racing crew uh, in our final uh, uh, segment of the evening. So, Jay, let's go ahead and get started uh, with some short track news here. Uh, we'll spend about five minutes on each uh, website. Uh, we <clears throat> uh, use as our resource Racing America, Flow Racing, and Short Track Scene. So what do you see that you want to talk about here on uh, with regard to short track racing? Well, it starts with uh, not in Kansas, but Wisconsin for the Joe Shear Classic. Um, some big names are going to be running in that. And just looking at the headline, it has been 18 years since the ASA brand has been there in Wisconsin at Madison International Speedway. Yes, and local driver Johnny Sauter, a lot of you will recognize that name from the Craftsman Truck Series, he's going to be making more ASA memories at Madison this weekend. And another Wisconsin native, Jay, Matt Kenseth, is going to return to the SRX for a race at Eldora. You know, I'm surprised that it's only been one announced so far. I think it said he did three last year um, and had podium finishes in two of them. Yeah, there we go. Raced three times last year in 2022 and posted two podium finishes. So that's a great addition to the SRX series. I know we're all excited about that for that Thursday Night Thunder on ESPN. Absolutely. And then the Granite State Pro 
uh, Stock Series is going to kick off their 23 season at Star Speedway uh, this weekend. So uh, if you're in that area, you definitely want to check out uh, the racing uh, for the Granite State Pro Stock Series. They're entering their 12th year on the road, and to get it all started, um, the New Hampshire-based touring circuit is returning to her last year's championship chase wrapped up. So that's at Star Speeding, or Star Speeding, Star Speedway, if I can get it out. And uh, I can't wait to see what happens in this race. Well, and another one, I know we talked about this, and it, it always brings about discussion, but Chase Briscoe is going to go Cars Tour racing when it gets to North Wilkesboro. I know he canceled an event somewhere around the Kansas area this weekend, being that he's still recovering from that broken finger on his hand. Um, so he is taking a little bit of time off, but apparently plans to be back full bore by the time they hit North Wilkesboro. And uh, just briefly, going on to F1 here, F1 meets NASCAR. RFK Racing hosts Esteban Ocon and Pierre Gasly. Uh, also there were Brad Keselowski and Chris Buescher. And uh, I think that's a great article for fans to check out as well over at Racing America. Now we're going to head over to Flow Racing and see what news articles uh, we can tell you about over there. Jay, do you see anything see good get, there? Yeah. That's what I get, and it loaded. Uh, for some reason, that one wasn't loaded for me. Um, as okay, always, though, they got plenty of... Go ahead. Late model stars are going to be out on full force this weekend at Thunder Road. Uh, so if you're anywhere near there, you want to make sure you check out uh, all the late model stars that will be showing up at Thunder Road. It looks like the Lucas Oil Series, they got one uh, live tonight. For some reason, this page is not wanting to work with me. But Lucas Oil uh, late models are running tonight. Okay. Also, Illinois Speed Weeks is going to begin with the Castell Flow Racing Night in America times two. Um, And it's kind of interesting because... they're going to be uh, taking place out at Spoon River Speedway and Lincoln Speedway. Uh, the article comes out of Austin, Texas, but it's going to be a double header that opens at Spoon River Speedway on May 10th before invading, um, before invading Lincoln Speedway on May 11th. So, uh, again, uh, really some great racing to take place here in Illinois. There we go. Sorry about that. Atomic Speedway is where the uh, Lucas Oil Series is going to be um, tonight. Looking at the schedule tomorrow, we've got a couple of USAC races as well. Always interesting to watch. Um, let's see, Ricky Thornton, will he race a wind sprint car again this year? That'd be a good one to check out. Ricky Thornton, Jr., a well-known dirt track racer. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, again, looking at the news articles... Uh, over here at Bamper, at um, Flow Racing, uh, there's an article called Ranking Dirt Track Racing's Top Ten Most Diverse Drivers. And uh, I see a picture of uh, Stuart Friesen uh, on the uh, uh, highlight um, uh, photo that they've included with this article. 
But, uh, again, you're going to recognize some names here, including Kyle Larson, Stuart Friesen, Ricky Thornton Jr., uh, Buddy Colfoyd, Tim McCready, Nick Huffman, just a lot of different. The top ten drivers are here. I don't want to steal all their thunder, but uh, a great article to check out over at Flow Racing. That would be an interesting conversation to have that I don't think we would have time to cover. It's kind of like the Hall of Fame <laughs> Um, you know, there's so many justifications that you can give for each and every driver. Um, that's an interesting one to look through. It is. Also, uh, there's a Dirt docuseries coming out. It's featuring Kyle Larson to premiere, on, and it's going to premiere on Fox Sports 1 on Tuesday, May the 16th. So watch out for that docu-series on Kyle Larson. Uh, it should start around 7 p.m. over at Fox Sports 1. Dirt, the last great American sport, sponsored by NOS Energy. Uh, so I really think uh, fans are going to want to watch uh, that episode at Fox Sports 1. And then they've, they're also going to be uh, there's a schedule there that shows you when it is going to air on Fox Sports 1, but there are several episodes. I see five episodes that they've included here where you can watch all five of those episodes. So uh, check that out as well. And that's one of those I think NASCAR and their drivers have embraced uh, when it comes to the, how they intake NASCAR racing, but also the drivers. Drivers making themselves available to be on these shows like this. We've seen one, and I can't think of what USA, USA's was last year. I know Mike uh, isn't here yet, but will join us for Hot Topics, uh, one that he was uh, really happy with how they covered that. The drivers being willing to um, be on there and being open when they're on there, not just putting on a show, but being open about what they're going through in their daily schedule. Exactly. I think it's wonderful. Okay, we're going to move over to short track scene for our last uh, four minutes here. Uh, we talked about Ty Majeski being our uh, media interview for this week. Well, there's an article over at Short Track Scene. Twin titles, the five-time Midwest Tour champion, is chasing a truck and ASA championship. So he's the points leader in the uh, NASCAR Truck Series. But uh, he's going to be racing uh, – he's from Seymour, Wisconsin. He's 28 years old, and he's going to be racing for that ASAT National Series Championship as well. And we mentioned earlier they're racing at Madison International Speedway. Uh, Ty is a Wisconsin native. He's not going to miss that race. Well, and this is an interesting one. We talk about drivers racing in other series aside from their primary. He's not just racing. He is going for that championship. Uh, looks like he's going to be able to commit to the full schedule. So that makes it even that much more interesting. We've seen it in the Arkham Menard series, and we got one uh, going for it again, the East and West championships at the same time. Um, this one's a little bit different and uh, very intriguing, and I can't wait to hear that interview. I know. It's, it's going to be uh, a very good interview. Okay. Uh, there's also an article here. Ace is set to host that Cars Tour doubleheader uh, that's going to be coming up here. Uh, let's see the dates that they give us for this race. Ace Speedway. Uh, they give us all the details but not the date. I'm scrolling down here. I don't see, I don't see it see either. 
the date for this race. Okay, 8 p.m. on Flow Racing. No date. <laughs> okay. Uh, hopefully they'll put a date out here so we know what date we're talking about. Uh, but that's a speedway. Uh, it says the ninth place finish... Uh, in the top 250 at Hickory Motor Speedway was far from ideal for William Sawalich, and that's a name we're becoming accustomed to. Uh, but it did get him on the cusp of locking into his second race at North Wilkesboro. So uh, check that out. Hopefully they'll put a date up here. I don't know why I don't see a date, but I don't see a date. Um, you see anything else you want to make sure we mention here? Well, I think this is one uh, kind of a mixture of a story, but uh, the Nelson 22 car in the Cars Tour going to have a new driver. They split ways with uh, Kale Gale as well as uh, Timothy Peters as the um, general manager, but they have now put in the car the three-time um, Hickory champion Landon Huffman, and he'll be taking over that ride effective immediately and he just came off of oh. victory i believe at hickory hickory okay so uh a new racing direction there for landon huffman and uh we'll see what he does uh, for the remainder of the season okay jay we're going to go ahead and move on to our preview of the uh, arca menard series they're racing this weekend out at kansas speedway the Dawn 150 will take place on Saturday, May the 6th at 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Central. And they'll have television coverage at 2 p.m. Eastern time as well as radio. Co- that will be on Fox Sports 1. And then radio coverage is also available on MRN and uh, MRN Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 100 laps over 150 miles. We'll go every other topic here. All right, it will be the 26th Arkham and Ard Series race at Kansas Speedway, dating back to 2001 when the series competed in the opening weekend at the then-new 1.5-mile Tri-Oval, and that race was won by Jason Jarrett. Ah, pretty cool. Okay, the Dawn 150 is also the fourth race of the 20-race Arkham and Ard Series season. Greg Van Alston, the number 35 Van Alt Chevrolet, won that the season opener out at Daytona International Speedway and Arkham and Art Series West regular Tanner Reif driving the number one Loudon Jackson Racing Ford won the second round. A West Series conjunction race that took place out at uh, Phoenix Raceway in March. The two-time um, West Series champion Jesse Love in the number 20 Venturini Motorsports Toyota won the race that took place at Talladega Super Speedway. So now we get to see who gets wins this fourth race of the season. Well, and you heard a mixture there, and there's been eight races across the Arkham Menard Series platform so far in 2023 with seven different winners. Van Alst, Reif, and Love have won in the Arkham Menard Series. You mentioned his name, William Solich at Five Flags Speedway, and Jake Finch at Dover have won in the Arkham Menard Series East. Now, Sean Hinegrani is the only driver with two platform wins 
having won the Arkham Menard Series West races at Irwindale in Kern County. Okay. Uh, rising star Frankie Munoz, driving the number 30 for Red Joe's Racing 4, jumped to the top of the Arkham Menard Series Championship standings with a ninth-place finish at Talladega. Munoz now leads Talladega winner Jesse Love by 11 points heading into the race at Kansas. Uh, at Kansas Speedway, Greg Van Alt, who was eliminated in an early accident, uh, dropped to third place in those point standings. So uh, that race really hurt him in the point standings. But uh, uh, we'll talk a little more about Greg Van Alt in a few more minutes. Well, one to keep your eye on this weekend will be Sean Core in the number eight Empire Racing Chevrolet. As he finished third at Daytona and fourth at Talladega, now making his first start at Kansas Speedway since he finished 14th, but that was back in 2011. Okay, Taylor Gray, he drives that number 17 Tricon Garage Toyota, and he's making his second start in the 2023 season. Great finish seventh last weekend at Talladega. Well, we mentioned the uh, inaugural winner there at Kansas Speedway, but when we look at all Arkham and Ard Series winners at Kansas Speedway, that list includes Jarrett, Frank Kimmel, who's done it three times, no surprise there, Shelby Howard, Ryan Hemphill, Chad Blunt, Scott Legacy Jr., Scott Speed, Parker Kligerman, Ty Dillon, Alex Bowman has a pair, Spencer Gallagher, Mason Mitchell, Chase Briscoe, Michael Self, Sheldon Creed, Christian Eckes, Brett Holmes, then Corey Heim has a pair, Ty Gibbs, and Nick Sanchez also has a pair. Very cool. Okay, Kimmel's 2013 win at Kansas Speedway was his record-breaking 80th and last career Arkham Menard Series win. Uh, incredible to have 80 wins within that series, but Frank Kimmel made that happen. And here's something I'm super excited about for the Arkham Menard Series, the 28 cars on the entry list. That's nine more than were entered in the spring race at Kansas Speedway in 2022, and seven more than were entered into the fall race. So the Arkham Menard series definitely thriving. And they definitely are. Again, uh, they'll be racing at Kansas Speedway Saturday, May the 6th at 2 p.m. Eastern. You can watch at Fox Sports 1 or the Fox Sports app. It will also be available on MRN, SiriusXM, radio on channel 391 or channel 3981. Uh, this is a 1.5-mile paved oval. They'll be racing 100 laps. Now, Saturday, May 6th, this is the final practice from 1025 to 1055 a.m. Eastern time. The general tire, tire pole qualifying, which is a time session, will start at 1210 p.m. Eastern. And then again, the Dawn 150 for 100 laps, 150 miles, starts at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, let's take a look at that um, entry list. All right, and I'll start down here at the bottom. Uh, we got A.J. Moyer in the 06 for Wayne Peterson. He'll be driving a Ford for River's Edge Cottages and RV Park JRC Transportation with Michael Peterson as his crew chief. Okay, and on top of the pit box um, uh, for... On top of the pit box for the number 03 is Chris Nicholas, uh, 
uh, for the Alex Club, uh, number three, Yavapi Bottle Gas Ford. And uh, Alex uh, is one of our drivers from Morris, Illinois, here. All right, and the Hillenburg 01 Ford will be there with Josh Duke as the crew chief and FastTrackRacing.com as the sponsor. What we don't have yet listed anyway is a driver, so stay tuned for that. Okay, Jason Kitzmiller will be behind the wheel of the number 97 uh, ALL Construction Chevrolet for Cody Rohrbaugh. Todd Myers is his crew chief. <clears throat> Running in a hometown, uh, coming out of DeSoto, Kansas, the Chick family will be handling the number 74 Chevrolet. Mandy Chick listed as the driver with Steve Chick as the owner and crew chief. They'll have dynamic drive lines and jrctax.com, uh, Fregola as their sponsor. Okay, hailing from Delaware, or I'm sorry, from Buffalo, New York, is Andy Jakowiak driving the number 73 Dax Market Whalen Toyota for Kevin Lapeer. Mike Dayton is his crew chief this week. Well, and if you have a Jegs uh, Cody Coughlin company-sponsored Ford, driver the number 72 will be Cody Coughlin, comes out of Delaware, Ohio. John Coughlin listed as the owner, and Kevin Reed Sr., a veteran crew chief on the box. We were just talking about Bill Kimmel. He'll be on top of the pit box for his own race team. Um, actually, this is a different Bill Kimmel. I'm thinking of Frank Kimmel. But this is his brother, Bill Kimmel. Uh, and uh, he's going to have Scott Melton behind the wheel of the number 69, Melton McFadden Agency Donna's Donuts Toyota this weekend. Scott hails from Rockford, Michigan. The number 66, Lick'em Stick'em Chevrolet, is going to come out of <laughs> Athens, Texas, with John Garrett as the driver. Dustin Hillenberg listed as the uh, owner, and Mike Schroof as the crew chief. Okay, and the number 55, Venturini uh, Victoria's Secret Toyota this weekend is going to be Tony Breidinger from Hillsboro, California. Billy, Billy Venturini will be a... Uh, the owner, but Caden Lapovich is the uh, crew chief for this weekend. And then you got Colby Evans, crew chiefing for the Brad Smith owned and driven number 48 Ford. And they, uh, he comes, Brad Smith comes out of Shelbyville Township, Michigan, with Capriah as the sponsorship. Okay, Tony Cassatino will be the crew chief for uh, his Enrique Tomeo <laughs> Chevrolet that will be racing this weekend, the number 45, and Tony Cassatino hails from Mansfield, Ohio. Driving for his own team, Greg Van Alst. We talked about him, your early points leader after winning Daytona. And the number 35 comes out of Anderson, Indiana. I believe that CB Fabricating is a sponsor with him. And then Jim Long is the crew chief. Okay. Uh, Frankie Munoz, or I'm sorry, Christian Rose, uh, driving the number 32 out of Martinsburg, West Virginia, will be driving that West Virginia Department of Tourism Ford for Kevin uh, Sawinski this weekend with Ryan London on top of the pit box. 
We're going to have to speed it up because we're going to run out of time quick here, Jay. All right. Frankie Munoz, your new points leader in the number 30, built Ford Proud Ford, owned in uh, crew chief by Mark Rett. He comes out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Kevin Reed Jr. will be on top of the box for the Venturini-owned number 25 with Dean Thompson behind the wheel. He hails from Anaheim, California, and he'll be driving the Thompson Pipe Group Toyota this weekend. The number 20 Toyota is one of the Venturini machines. That's Gear Wrench as the sponsor. Jesse Love, the driver. Crew chief will be Shannon Roosh, as usual. Matt Ross is the crew chief for the Go Gibbs, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, number 18, driven by Connor Mosack from Charlotte, North Carolina. We talked about Taylor Gray. He'll be in that number 17, Johnny Gray-owned machine. Uh, Toyota, actually, with dead-on tools. David Gill, I'm going to be crew chief in him. David Liner will be the crew chief for the Venturini-owned number 15, They'll have uh, Amber Balkin behind the wheel of the uh, Icon Toyota. She hails from Winnipeg, Manitoba. The Hillenburg Chevrolet number 12, that one has a driver, Gage Rogers, out of Coldwell, Michigan, with Valera Foam on the side of the car. On top of the box will be Dick Dehaney. Josh Ram will be uh, pit crew, <laughs> pit, pit uh, on top of the pit box for his own uh, Andy Hillenberg, number 11, uh, the cover crap Ford. Josh hails from Redlands, California. The number 10 Hillenberg Ford, that will be driven by Tim Monroe, also listed as his own crew chief with that FastTrackRacing.com sponsorship. Sean Cora is behind the wheel as a number 8 Nesco Chevrolet for his own race team with Mike Cheek on top of the pit box. Sean Hales from Spring Valley, New York. At a hot Springs, Arizona comes Matt Wilson. He'll be in the number seven Eric Caldell Toyota. Jeremy Petty going to be making the calls for the seven brew coffee team. Steve Plattenberg will be on top of the pit box for Jack Wood, who is behind the wheel of the number six Max Siegel Velocity Racing Chevrolet. Uh, he hails from Loomis, California. The other Max Siegel machine is comes to us uh, the driver from Mexico City, Mexico. That's Andres Perez de Lara in the number two with Jamie Jones in his ear. Nate Moeller will be in the ear of Kevin Hinkle, who's driving the number zero KH Automotive Toyota for Wayne Peterson. Kevin hails from Shawnee, Kansas. Okay, now real quick, I did want to mention before uh, we move on here, there's several great articles over at, at ARCARacing.com, including Thompson, Dean Thompson, joining Venturini Motorsports. And uh, he's a full-time Craftsman Truck Series driver, uh, and he's looking to give the organization their fifth win of this season. He'll be behind the wheel of that number 25 uh, for Venturini. So uh, it'll be fun to watch him. There's a great article here also about the points leader, Frankie Munoz. He's set to tackle Kansas with Rhett Jones Racing. And Greg Van Alts, uh, I give my condolences to him. He uh, is racing this weekend in honor of his father during the Dawn 150 this Saturday at Kansas Speedway. 
his father passed away, so he went from a very high of winning at the Daytona 500. I'm so glad uh, that his father was able to see him do that, uh, losing his father to cancer uh, very recently. So uh, watch for Greg Van Alstyne or his father this weekend. Most certainly, and our thoughts and prayers are with the Van Alls family. Um, as he looks to regain that points lead, uh, I know we talked about that. Frankie Munoz taking over the points lead. Jesse Love is 11 back. Greg Van Alls 13 back. And then fourth and fifth, you got Jack Wood and Tony Constantino tied and are 15 back. And that's after just three races. So we got 17 more to go. Yes, indeed. So uh, that's a quick update there. I want to tell you, too, that uh, are going to be racing. Okay, uh, are going to be racing soon. Uh, May 13th, you're going to see the ARCA East back on the track for the Music City 200 at Nashville Fairground Speedway. Uh, that race will be available for live streaming on Flow Racing. And then we'll have to a little bit for the ARCA West. Uh, they'll be racing at Portland International Raceway on June the 2nd, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, that race will be available via live streaming out at Flow Racing. So uh, we're now at the bottom of the hour, which means that it is time for us to go to our interview. Uh, again, there was a media interview this past weekend with both uh, Ben Rhodes and Ty um, Majeski. Uh, ben Rhodes, of course, is the um, driver of the number uh, 99 Thor Sport Racing Ford 150. We're not going to hear that part of the interview. What we are going to hear is the uh, part with Ty Majeski, the series points leader who drives the number 98 Road Ranger Ford F-150 uh, for Thor Sport Racing. And uh, we'll go ahead and get started with that now. And then Jay and I, I think we'll be able to listen to the whole thing. It's right around 10 minutes, Jay. And then you and I can comment after we hear the interview. All right. Hey, how you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. I think we're just going to dive right into it. Um, so we have Ty Majeski. He joins us now. Uh, he's driver of the number 98 Road Ranger Ford F-150, and notably, our Craftsman Truck Points Leader. Um, that sounds pretty good, right, Ty? Yeah, certainly. It's been a, a really good start to the season. It's been super consistent. Uh, I think we've finished, like, second through sixth, so uh, just missing that win so far. All right, I'm going to open up the questions uh, and keep this flowing. Bob, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, Ty, uh, earlier this year you had a stretch of five races in five weeks. Now you get a, you had a couple of weeks not racing, now another stretch of five races in five weeks. I'm curious if you learned anything just doing kind of a long five-week stretch earlier this year that you can apply to this five-week stretch. Well, I think the biggest thing was the – first five-week stretch is it required our race teams to build our whole fleet of trucks within that five-week stretch. So we had an intermediate, a road course, a sort of a hybrid intermediate in Atlanta, and you had a short track truck and a dirt truck. So um, that that first five-week stretch was incredibly hard on the teams, and I think from uh, my team's standpoint, it was good to get a couple weeks off 
um, let the guys get home to their families, spend some time a little bit, um, you know, and, and just sort of reset. Now that most of our trucks are built are, and are in pretty good shape, um, you know, we can now start recycling some of these trucks and actually running them again instead of um, just trying to build them um, for the first time this season. So um, this five-week stretch won't be quite as grueling as the first stretch, uh, but we certainly, you know, we were able to, like I mentioned, go to each different type of racetrack so far, uh, build up a notebook, and, and hopefully apply some of those things that we learned uh, in the first five race stretch into, into this one. This is, uh, uh, I feel like, probably the best five tracks that – um, there's some of the five tracks that we have on our schedule that we have, have circled. Uh, they're really good races for us, good track for us, so we're excited to get going for it. And are, are you doing any, uh, are you doing a CARS or ASA race at North Wilkesboro? I am, yes. So, I, I mean, are you doing that for fun, or do you feel like it's important to get on the track before um, racing the truck there? Yeah, I think definitely both. Um, whether so, I'm going to try and pursue the ASA Stars National Tour for points. Uh, so that'll be uh, the third race in that series. But uh, regardless of whether I was running that for points, Wilkesboro was a was a race that I wanted to do. Uh, as you mentioned, just to get some seat time for the truck race. Um, I haven't been there before. Um, not too many people have, so to have that opportunity to um, go there before the truck race, at least know the racetrack and some of the characteristics and all progresses and, and transitions from day to night um, will be, I think well, that knowledge will be valuable uh, come Saturday for the truck race. Thank you. Marty, you're up. Thanks, Brendan. Ty, following up on that, does racing in the uh, late model before you take to the truck, does that really help give you a better understanding for what the tire fall-off is going to be like, or is it just two completely different tires? Yeah, definitely completely different tires, but I think you get a general idea of how it's going to trend, right? Um, I think we're going to see tire fall-off probably something similar to Richmond, maybe even a little bit more. Um, so I can kind of cross, you know, cross-reference that with some of the tracks that I've, you know, been to in a lay model and, and kind of compare them. You know, it's, they are totally different animals, but, you know, I'll have a general idea of how really abrasive the track is uh, when I do run my late model. So hard to correlate it, just going to have to go off of past experiences and kind of cross-reference that to sort of come up with an idea of what we're going to have with the, for the truck race on Saturday. So last year at Kansas, you had a second and an eighth. What did you learn from both of those races that you can move forward to try and get that win at Kansas? Yeah, I think we over-adjusted a little bit. I think the biggest thing for my team was uh, understanding the differences in the racetrack from the spring to the fall. I feel like what we, you know, sort of fought in the fall was not what we fought in the spring. Um, you know, we I, th I thought we were pretty good just a little bit on the free side in the spring. Then we came back in the fall a bit tighter to compensate for that, and uh, I just think the, the way the weather is and, the you know, the rubber having been laid down throughout the season with multiple races, it just we didn't fight that in the in the fall last year. So that's why we didn't probably run quite as good. So um, just every time we go to the racetrack, we're learning. You know, you know, I've been working with Joe now for almost a year and a half, and, um, you know, we're starting to, you know, not starting. We've, we're going to all these places twice now. 
so we actually have a notebook to go off of where last year we were, we were building that notebook. So we're able to go back and, and look at the places where we feel like we can get better. And I feel like Kansas is a place where we're capable of, of getting better uh, coming back a second time through having a notebook. And then finally, obviously, you've been having your best seasons uh, in Craftsman Truck Competition with Door Sport Racing. What have, you, what have you enjoyed most about working with them? Well, just, you know, I've said this before, you know, the, the culture up here at Thorsport, I feel like, is different than, I'll, I'll say, some of the corporate NASCAR teams in, in Charlotte, so to speak. Um, you know, we work, I feel like if, 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 you, if you're working at Thorsport, it's because you want to be here and you're a racer. And I feel like in some instances, people, you know, are on race teams in Charlotte because it's a job. And I feel like up here you're here because you actually want to be here and you want to go to the racetrack and race uh, and not just do it for a job. So I, I think that goes a long way into building the culture here. And, you know, I feel like I'm a little bit more of an, a sort of an old school racer and, uh, you know, working with the guys, being at the shop um, and uh, being a strong part of, you know, how the truck goes to the racetrack. So um, just to, you know, have that uh, sort of mentality up here at Thor Sport just fits me well. Um, and we have fun doing it. Obviously, Joe and I hit it, hit it off right off the bat. You know, both being from Wisconsin, uh, being late model guys, um, you know, we have a lot in common, and, and we bonded at um, a really rapid pace. And I felt like the results showed it last year. Appreciate your time, Ty. Best of luck this weekend. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm definitely curious, Ty. It's now being at the top of the standings. Um, is there any added pressure? Is it? Do you feel like you got a target on your back? How are you um, kind of taking that that top spot and and using it towards the next races? Yeah, I mean, being the points leader is nice. You know, it's definitely rewards. Um, I feel like consistency throughout the year. Um, one, one goal that we had coming into this season was really to get more playoff points. Um, last year, I think we went into the playoffs with with two playoff points. We won two stages throughout the year. Uh, so I think the the goal for me was to, um, you know, try and knock off a couple wins early and a few stage wins and try and build up that buffer um, for hopefully when we do make the playoffs. So haven't been able to do that yet. Uh, the points lead is nice, but we really want to focus on, on winning some of these races and, and winning some stages uh, just, to, just to make our playoff run and our path a little bit easier to Phoenix. Awesome. And, yeah, consistency is key. Definitely uh Five top fives, six top tens, and seven races is uh, <laughs> it's quite the year so far. Um, I'm wondering on sort of game planning for Kansas, do you take that second uh, place from last spring um, to this year? And, I mean, even go as far as this year with the, with the current car, Joe, and, and the team around you, a mile and a half like Vegas, do you, do you take anything away from those other mile and a halves and apply it to Kansas? Yeah, so, you know, we took um, really an experimental setup to Kansas last year in the spring. It felt like we hit on something, and then we brought it back to Kansas again with some small changes. Didn't really like the direction we went. And going to Homestead, we were, you know, sort of in the mindset, okay, if we go back to, if we were to go back to Kansas for a third time, what would we do to the setup? And that's what we took to Homestead, and we won with it, and it was, uh, probably one of the best trucks that I've ever had. Uh, so we're, we're going to take that same truck, that same setup, uh, back to Kansas here 
uh, from Homestead uh, this spring. So uh, that's just kind of the mentality where we're at, you know, from a package perspective um, and sort of the racetracks that we're using to, to correlate. Um, you know, I feel like Vegas is more so like uh, like a Charlotte-type uh, racetrack. Um, and I feel that like Kansas and Homestead, you can get a little bit more aggressive with how smooth they are. So um, just, you know, we have we sort of have two different intermediate packages that we play with, and um, so we're gonna we're gonna go with something similar to what we had at Homestead last year. Okay, we'll end it there, Jay. I really thought uh, they gave some good information there with the questions they asked and and the responses that we got from Ty Majeski. Your thoughts about the interview? Well, having known his past history, I think he's found a home. I, that's, I correlated it all into one. He's really found a home at Thor Sports Racing, and he talked about that as far as the atmosphere. And I think that's reflected on then his ability on the track of being consistent. Uh, I know he mentioned uh, getting stage wins and, and the playoff points. Well, if he's sitting at the top of the point standings, right now you're looking at 15 bonus points if he stays there. But he's just shown that maturity on the track, as well as it sounded a lot like off the track um, as well, not just showing up, driving it, saying what's wrong, and moving on. Um, the other part was when he was talking about comparing driving the late model to the, the truck series with the tire fall-off specifically, any little bit of information, no, it's not the same. It's not the same tire. It's not the same vehicle. But if you look, he, I think he compared it back to Richmond. Well, Richmond's similar. He drove both. If it dropped a certain percentage, do that math of what they're looking at North Wilkesboro. You know, um, just so much that he is putting into that race team um, is amazing. And I think that reflects, like I said, on the performance on the track week in and week out. Absolutely. He's very much involved in what happens with his car. I like that about Ty Majewski and his uh, number 98 North Sport Racing team. Um, so many of the drivers today just jump into the car. They have no idea what their crew chief or the crew has done to their car to make it run better. Uh, I think that makes Ty Majeski and gives him a competitive advantage because he can tell his team exactly what they need to do to make his car better uh, throughout the race. So it doesn't surprise me that he's at the top of the points in the Craftsman Truck Series this year. Um, I, th I think that hands-on approach uh, to not just what he does on the track, but it's what he does off the track to prepare for that race uh, that I make, I think makes all the difference in the world. Well, and that goes back to part of his story of when he was, I uh, believe, between rides or waiting on a ride. It wasn't just a matter of driving mm -hmm. something else and showing his talent. He was working, and I believe it was at Nice Motorsports, if I'm not mistaken, that he was in the shop working on the trucks, whether it be his truck or not. Um, helping out with with building them. As an engineer, by the way. Is that the role? Okay, I couldn't remember his exact role with it. I just knew he was involved in it. Uh -huh. Yeah, I think he was. Uh, he's uh, pretty knowledgeable about race cars, and uh, he has a lot to offer, uh, like I say, in the garage and on the racetrack. Uh, Ty Majeski knows uh, what's going on. So I really like that about him, and uh, I wish him continued success throughout the rest of this season. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move on now to the Craftsman Truck Series because they are racing this weekend, Sal, uh, Sal, calling you Sal now. 
Jay. <laughs> they are racing this weekend at the Heart of America 200 at Kansas Speedway on Saturday, May the 6th. The race should start around 8 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. Uh, Pre-race coverage will start at 7 p.m. Eastern at Fox Sports 1, as well as radio coverage at MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing 134 laps to cover a distance of 201 miles. And uh, the first two laps are 30 laps each. Stage 1 ends on lap 30, stage 2 on lap 60. The final stage is going to be 114 laps and uh, ends on lap 134. So what do we have here in the truck series to help fans uh, prepare? Well, first thing we got in crew chief change is Blake Wainridge has joined GMS Racing as crew chief of the number 43. Uh, GMS Racing made the announcement this week of shifting leadership for that number 43 Craftsman Truck Series team. Blake, Bain, Blake Blainridge will assume the role of crew chief for Daniel Dye, replacing Travis Sharp, uh, who has amicably parted ways with the organization. Uh, Brandred Bainbridge joins the team from Halmar Friesen Racing, where he had most recently served as crew chief for the number 52 entry by Stuart Friesen. All right, so a little bit of a change there. Also, uh, Daniel Dye, speaking of Daniel Dye, uh, he's going to drive race to stop suicide hashtag in that number 43 Chevrolet this weekend in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, GMS Racing also announced that Daniel Guy will run a special hashtag race to stop suicide paint scheme this weekend at Kansas Speedway. Off the track, the driver of the number 43 Chevrolet showcases his philanthropic character by working closely with Race to Stop Suicide, an initiative that has driven, uh, that is driven to normalize the conversation and stigma surrounding mental health, as well as providing resources and education to professionals across the country. So uh, kudos to Daniel Dye for what he's doing in that regard. Absolutely. Now, some Craftsman Truck Series drivers to watch. We've got the Sunflower State Edition. Through 25 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series races at Kansas Speedway, there are several drivers who have consistently been at the front of the pack. And it starts with Thor Sport Racing's Matt Crafton, as he holds several Kansas Speedway records. Most top fives is at seven. Most top tens is at 14. Starts at 25 and then laps completed at 3,889. He finished the ninth last year in last year's spring race. Oops. Uh, Kyle Busch, who earned uh, Kyle Busch Motorsports' first Craftsman Truck Series victory back there in April of 2010, he'll be looking to collect his organization's 100th NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series win on Saturday. Through six starts at Kansas Speedway, Busch is tied with Crafton for the series' most with wins, at three, and only finished outside of the top ten once. A defending race winner, Zane Smith, he's finished in the top ten five times in six career starts. Since the beginning of the 2022 season, driver of the number 38 Ford has done exceptionally well at the 1.5-mile tracks with six top five finishes. He finished second at Las Vegas Motor Speedway earlier this year. 
And Nice Motorsports, we got Ross Chastain. He's experienced both ups and downs at Kansas Speedway. But the driver that number 41 Chevrolet has, two DNS. Uh, 2012 was an engine failure and 2020 was a brake. But also finished first there in 2019 and second in 2021 in his only other starts. Okay. Moving on here, uh, moving up the NASCAR ladder is Tony Breidinger. She's going to make her first truck series debut for Tricon Garage this weekend. She's the next of many drivers this season climbing the NASCAR ladder system uh, and is an Arkham Menard Series star and driver for Venturini Motorsports. Tony Breidinger will join the Tricon Garage team this weekend at Kansas as she pilots the number one Victoria's Secrets Toyota Tundra TRD Bro. The 23-year-old will attempt to make her series debut breaking ground as the first Arab-American woman to compete in the Craftsman Truck Series. Now, last September, Breidinger was featured in Victoria's Secret's 2022 Fall Collection campaign, and this season the fashion icon company is sponsoring her at Kansas Speedway. Breidinger has nine top ten finishes and 35 Arkham Menard Series career starts, and prior to transitioning to stock cars, she had 19 victories in her United States Auto Club, that's USAC, open wheel midget career. The San Francisco Bay Area native will run double duty this weekend as she is competing in the Arkham Menard Series Dawn 150 before her Craftsman Truck Series debut later that same evening. Though this will be her first start in the Truck Series at Kansas, she does have four Arkham Menard Series starts at the 1.5-mile track, having posted two top ten finishes there. So we'll see what Tony Breidinger does this weekend in the truck. Well, and those trucks are going to be under the lights at Kansas Speedway. After that two-week break, the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series jumps back into action under the lights this weekend at Kansas Speedway for the Heart of America 200. Now, Kansas Speedway has hosted 25 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series races. The inaugural event coming in 2001 was won by Ricky Hendrick. It was his only career win in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. There's been 21 different Truck Series winners at the 1.5-mile track with Kyle Busch and Matt Crafton sharing the tie for the series lead with three apiece. A Toyota Tundras lead the pack when it comes to the most wins in the Sunflower State, coming in with 11, and that includes last season's winner, John Hunter Nemechek. So going back to 2000. Five. I need to jump back to five. Okay. Uh, that was a Toyota with Ty Bodine. 2009, it was a Toyota with Mike Skinner. They're all Toyotas. Oh, that's well, okay. It was showing the to- all the Toyotas, 11 wins. There we go. 2013 was Matt Crafton. And then it was Kyle Busch in 2014. 15, it was Matt Crafton as they alternated. I think I missed one. 09. I think I missed 09. That was Mike Skinner. He was in that number five. Uh, going back to 2016, then, it was William Byron. Kyle Busch reemerged in 2017. And then it was Noah Gregson in 18. Uh, 2020 was Austin Hill. Kyle Busch again in 2021. And John Hunter Nemechek in 2022. Now, practice and qualifying for the Heart America 200 will be Saturday, May 6th at 11 a.m., 11.05 a.m. Eastern Time. That will be covered on FS1. 
And it looks like we're about due for a Kyle Bush win. It looks like he goes about every two to three years. <laughs> yep, we'll see what happens here. Okay, we're going to move on to the Xfinity Series. They are not racing this weekend. Their next race will be uh, coming up, though. The Schreiner Children's 200 will race at Darlington Raceway Saturday, May the 13th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Or, I'm sorry, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The coverage uh, for pre-race will be on Fox starting at 1 p.m. Also, radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing 147 laps to cover 200.8 miles. And the first two stages will be 45 laps each. Stage one ending on lap 45, stage two on lap 90. And then the final stage will end on the last lap, lap 147. Well, we start off with some Kyle Larson news. He's going to be racing at Darlington, which is not unusual. But the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series champion is going to be pulling double duty at Darlington next weekend as he's getting behind the wheel of the number 10 HendrickCars.com Chevrolet for college racing. Uh, it will be the first Xfinity Series start of 2023 for um, Larson. Okay, also, Brennan Poole is going to run at Kansas Speedway this weekend. Uh, although the Xfinity Series is not running at Kansas, Brendan Poole won't be taking a break. Uh, the 32-year-old driver is getting behind the wheel of the number 15 Ford for Rick Ware Racing for this weekend's Cup Series race at Kansas. This is going to be Poole's second Cup Series start of the season and his third start at Kansas Speedway in the series. So uh, hopefully he'll have a, a good race this week. Let's take a look at the Sunoco Rookie of the Year battle. Uh, Chandler Smith is in the lead. As the 2023 Sunoco Rookie of the Year contenders have 10 races under their belts now as they take off this weekend before coming back to action at Darlington on Saturday, May 13th. Currently leading that pack, I mentioned, is Chandler Smith. The college racing driver has secured his spot in the playoffs as well with his one win at Richmond. He's got four top fives from five top tens. He sits third in the overall standings with 339 points. Uh, Sliding in next is Joe Gibbs Racing's Sammy Smith, also secured his spot in the playoffs with his first Xfinity Series career win. Uh, That came at Phoenix Raceway earlier this season. He's racked up 296 points with his one win, three top fives and four top tens. And then we got Jordan Anderson Racing's Parker Retzlaff. He's in the third in the rookie class with 199 points. He's posted one top five and two top ten in his ten starts this season. Uh, Closing out the competition is Blaine Perkins with 64 points. Okay, next we're going to look at the Xfinity Series standings update uh, with Darlington coming up next. Now, the Xfinity Series wrapped up its 10th race of the season at Dover Motor Speedway last weekend when Ron Truex found his way to victory lane. Because he's a part-time driver in the series, there are still only five drivers who have clinched their spot into the playoffs with their respective wins. They include Austin Hill winning at Daytona, Las Vegas, and Atlanta. Also, John Hunter Nemechek with wins at Auto Club in Martinsville, Sammy Smith at Phoenix, Chandler Smith at Richmond, and Jeb Burton at Talladega. 
With a top five finish at Dover, Hill was able to hang on to the lead in the standings. He now sits 377 points, but Nemechek is still right on his heels. He's just four points behind at 373. Chandler Smith, he clings to his third-place spot with 309 points, while teammates Josh Berry at 334 and Justin Algar at 328 have moved up to fourth and fifth-place spots. Now, Al Gower could very well clinch his spot next weekend at Darlington as he has two wins under his belt in 21 and 22 at that 1.366-mile track. Cole Custer, who won the last segment of the Dash for Cash last weekend, he's now in sixth place with 318 points, and Sheldon Creed is right behind him at 314. Riley Erbst is down 65 and Sammy Smith 81, as they assume the next two slots in the standings, and Daniel Hemrick takes up that 10th spot at 284 points. Junior motorsports teammates Sam Mayer net down 110, and Brandon Jones down 119 come in next in that playoff hunt. So uh, this continues to shape up as the season moves along. And um, Jay. It certainly does, and you mentioned some of the finishers there. You didn't hear one of the regulars as far as a winner, and that's because it was Joe Gibbs Racing's Ryan Truex who conquered Dover's Monster Mile. Now, most drivers dream of the opportunity to post a win at their hometown track, and this last weekend, Ryan Truex was able to make that dream a reality. Uh, It wasn't just an ordinary win for the Mayetta, New Jersey native. It was his first ever in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Truex came into the race strong, finding his way to the front on lap 34, and he swept both stages and ultimately led a career-high 124 of the 200 laps. He's a part-time driver of the number 19 Toyota, but Truex has made five starts thus far with Joe Gibbs Racing, posting that one win now at Dover, three top fives and three top tens. His next race with the team will be in two weeks at Darlington Raceway. And Truex has made three starts at the 1.366-mile Darlington track, coming in 2011, 18, and 22. And he posted the best finish of 15th, and that was in the middle at 2018. Okay, so it looks like we've got a lot to look forward to uh, with that Xfinity Series race next week at Darlington. All right, we're going to move on now to the NASCAR Cup Series. They're racing this weekend the Advent Health 400 at Kansas Speedway on Sunday, May the 7th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox Sports 1 will carry the pre-race coverage starting at 2 p.m. Eastern with radio coverage at MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing 267 laps covering 400.5 miles. And the first two laps, well, the first stage will be 80 laps ending on lap 80. The second stage will be 85 laps ending on lap 165. And the final stage will be 102 laps ending on lap 267. So where are we going with the uh, Cup Series here? Well, we just had some milestones completed, but we got a couple more to watch. Over the next several weekends, a few NASCAR Cup Series drivers will be making milestone starts in their careers. For next week at Darlington Raceway, it'll be Harrison Burton, and he's expected to make his 50th NASCAR Cup Series start. And then in a couple of weeks at Charlotte Motor Speedway, 
Austin Dillon is expected to make his 350th NASCAR Cup Series career start, and Todd Gillen will also be making his 50th NASCAR Cup Series start at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And then at Worldwide Technology Raceway, it'll be RFK Racing's Brad Keselowski, as he would become the 46th different driver all-time to eclipse the 500 starts uh, mark in the Cup Series. So those are a couple we got coming. I know Harvick just had his uh, big one of 800. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very cool uh, to be able to celebrate those milestones. Okay, Kansas Speedway revolutionizes fan experience with Highline District. Uh, so let's talk about that, beginning with the Adventel 400. Uh, NASCAR weekend, uh, fans can visit Kansas Speedway's brand-new Highline District in Turn 1. The state-of-the-art Highline District provides unprecedented food, drink, and entertainment options for all fans while providing breathtaking views of the racing action. Now, Highline District amenities include two chicken and pickleball, um, chicken and pickle pickleball courts, They'll also have live music, photo opportunities, and numerous yard games. It's open to all Kansas Speedway ticket holders and campers and will feature appearances from NASCAR Cup Series stars Austin Dillon, Ty Dillon, and Denny Hamlin on Sunday, May the 7th. Uh, you know, it's not an event. It's they, What is it that they say? I've heard them say it before. Uh, it's not just... An event. It's a it's a lifestyle that happens with NASCAR. Uh, You go to a game in uh, baseball, but you go to an experience when it comes to the Speedway and and NASCAR. Uh, They have a lot of things available for fans this weekend. And we see more of that coming back, like we see there with Kansas Speedway. Now, this one I know they got in the notes that we talked about on Hot Topics on Tuesday this week. We've had a really off week this week, but it was Tuesday night. But Legacy Motor Club is going to make the move to Toyota in 2024. Toyota announced this week there's a partnership with Legacy Motor Club beginning with the 2024 NASCAR Cup Series uh, season. With Legacy Motor Club two entries, uh, Toyota Field, eight full-time Toyota Camrys, TRDs in the NASCAR Cup Series action starting next season. Uh, Legacy Motor Club is co-owned by seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson, as well as businessman Mari Gallagher. And Richard Petty is still there as a consultant, I think. I don't remember what the term there is. Yeah, but... They do they do consult him from time to time, but I think these are the two guys that are really uh, running the show at this point. Um, they did a media interview earlier this week, and it was quite interesting uh, what they had to say. I was hoping somebody would pick that up and write about it. Um, and I think you did, didn't you, Jay? Are you going to write about this? Uh, no, that isn't what I had planned on. Um, I, I'm oh, looking okay. at Ryan Priest and uh, his journey in the Cup Series. Oh, that's right. Okay, uh, must be I must be thinking of somebody else then. But yeah, this was really cool uh, to see that happening and a surprise announcement. I don't think anyone expected that announcement, uh, and especially so early this season about what's going to happen in the 2024 season. 
But let's uh, go ahead and move on to track house racing drivers. They're going to they're bookending the playoff outlook right now. Following the 11th race of the Cup Series season, nine drivers are currently qualified for the playoffs, entering um, nine spots are up for, let's see, qualified for the playoffs, either by being the points leader or by virtue of their wins this season. Uh, those nine spots are occupied, and it leaves just seven spots that are up for grabs as the Cup Series now heads to Kansas Speedway. At one end of the playoff outlook sits Trackhouse Racing's Ross Chastain. Right now he's the current points leader. And at the other end, teetering at the cutoff line, is Chastain's teammate, Daniel Suarez, who sits three points up on Joe Gibbs Racing's rookie, Ty Gibbs, who sits in 17th place. That's the first spot that's outside the postseason cutoff. But if we take a look at uh, what the points will be, uh, as far as the playoff outlook, uh, you have to base it on the number of wins uh, that those nine drivers have. And that puts Ross Chastain down to ninth place because so far he does not have a win yet this season, even though he is the series points leader. So those that would be above him include uh, three drivers who have two wins, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, and William Byron. And then the rest of these drivers all have one win on the season. They include Christopher Bell, Martin Truex Jr., Tyler Reddick, Joy Logano, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Those drivers without a win that sits below the series points leader in ninth place would be Kevin Harvick, Ryan Blaney, Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski, Chris Buescher, Chase Briscoe, and as we mentioned earlier, Daniel Suarez takes that 16th spot above the cut line. Those drivers that are below the cut line uh, but could jump above with a win include Ty Gibbs, Austin Sindrick, Michael McDowell, Bubba Wallace, Corey LaJoy, Todd Gilliland, Eric Jones, Eric Almarola, Justin Haley, A.J. Allmendinger, Ryan Priest, Chase Elliott, Harrison Burton, Austin Dillon, Noah Gregson, and Ty Dillon, that takes us through 32 Cup Series drivers. So uh, the, that points uh, look a lot different when you look at it uh, based on their wins and uh, uh, how they'll enter the playoff portion of the season. Certainly does, and I think we're going to see some more change in that uh, here as we go. Um, we saw Martin Truex end a winless streak, so let's look at some other drivers wrestling the winless streaks in the Cup Series. It was veteran Joe Gibbs racing driver Martin Truex who snapped the Martin Truex Jr. Uh, snapping the 54 race winless streak on Monday. Who else is wrestling with that long winless streak that might get to victory lane this weekend? When we look at the entry list for the Advent Health 400, a total of 17 different drivers are riding a winless streak that date back prior to the start of the year, and five of the 17 are former Kansas Speedway winners heading into Sunday's race. So we look at uh, Justin Haley. He's, uh, he's had 80 attempts. Let's see, how do I want to read this? Well, it's... it's um... Um, It's been uh, 137 got, races. He's got the longest uh, winless streak right now at 137 races in 80 attempts. All right, so uh, 
in the 80 attempts at him. Um, his last win was in July 2019 at Daytona. Michael McDowell, surprisingly enough, is at 82, as his last win came at Daytona in 2021. Brad Keselowski's, his is at 73. His last win coming in April of 2021 came at Talladega. Eric Almarola is at 61 races. His last win was at Loudoun in July of 2021. Sitting at 59 races since the last win, but only 30 attempts, is A.J. Allmendinger. His last win was in August of 2021 at Indianapolis Road Course. Ryan Blaney is one really surprising because he's come so close, but he's at 57. Uh, last win was at Daytona in August of 2021. Austin Sindrick, the Daytona winner is to begin 2022, he's at 46. Chase Briscoe is at 43. Uh, his last win, Phoenix of March of 2022. Ross Chastain, another one, uh, 37 races. His last was at Talladega at the end of uh, the middle of 2022, April of 2022. Denny Hamlin, Charlotte of 2022 was his last victory. It's been 33 races. Daniel Suarez is his 31 races. His was at June 12, uh, 2022 out at Sonoma. Kevin Harvick, 2020, or, sorry, 23 races. His was August of 2022 at Richmond. Austin All the rest Dillon, of these are August 2022. All right. Uh, Austin Dillon, 21 races. His was in August of 2022 at Daytona. Eric Jones is at 20. His was in September of 2022 at Darlington. Bubba Wallace was at Kansas in September of 2022. He's at 19. 18 is Chris Busher. His was at Bristol in September of that year. And then in October, it was Chase Elliott at Talladega, and his was at 16, but he's, again, only had 10 attempts. So the top two, uh, Justin Haley at 187 races and Michael McDowell at 82 82 races, hold the longest two active winless streaks. But among the three drivers with a winless streak that have previously won at Kansas Speedway in the NASCAR Cup Series, RFK Racing's Brad Keselowski is the longest winless streak to overcome this weekend at 73 races, then dating back to Talladega Super Speedway in 2021. Now, Keselowski has been running well this season, putting up two top fives, or top fives and five top tens. And this Sunday, the Michigan native is hoping to get his first points-paying race win with his new team, RFK. Keselowski has made 24 series starts at Kansas, posting one win, or I'm sorry, one pole, two wins in 2011 and 2019, seven top fives and 13 top tens. And Denny Hamlin for Joe Gibbs Racing has the longest winless streak among the previous Kansas winners, and he's overcome it overcome his 33 races dating back to Charlotte in 2022. But Kansas is a track where he has excelled in 29 starts. He's put up three wins in 2012, 19, and 20 with 11 top fives and 12 top tens. In the last three drivers with winless streaks dating back prior to the start of the season but have career wins at Kansas, we got Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick, 2311 Racing's Bubba Wallace, and Hendrick Motorsports' Chase Elliott. Harvick has three career wins at Kansas in 2013, 16, and 18. 
is on a winless streak that has reached only 23 races back to Richmond of August of last season. And then last season's Kansas victor, Bubba Wallace, last reached the victory lane there September 11th of 2022. His winless streak is at 19 races. In the 2018 Kansas Speedway winner, Chase Elliott's winless streak dates back to Talladega, which is only 16 races. And again, he's only had 10 opportunities at it, having had to sit out six races. Okay. Uh, one team, though, is looking to uh, Kansas Speedway to keep their racing, their winning streak alive, and that's 2311. Last year, 2311 racing drivers Kurt Busch won the May race, and Bubba Wallace won that September race and swept the Cup Series races at Kansas. And now the young organization is looking to keep that winning streak alive to become the first organization to win three straight races at Kansas Speedway. 2311 Racing became the fourth different organization to win consecutive Cup Series races at Kansas, joining Hendrick Motorsports, who did it with Gordon in 2001 and 2, Furniture Row Racing with Martin Truex Jr. in 2017 with a sweep, and Joe Gibbs Racing did it in 2019 and 20 with Denny Hamlin. This year, the 2311 Racing brings back Bubba Wallace, the most recent winner at Kansas, and this time in that number 23 Toyota. And new to this season is Tyler Reddick, who's driving that number 45 Toyota, the car and team that won both races last season. Wallace is still looking for his first win uh, this year, but Reddick has already won grabbing his first victory of the year at Circuit of the Americas. At Kansas, Wallace has made 10 starts in the series, posting one win, one top five, and two top tens. Reddick's made seven starts at Kansas, and he's posted two top ten finishes. So, again, another team to watch out of Kansas this weekend. Kansas Speedway is setting the stage for the NASCAR Cup Series. There's a short week following the postponement of the Dover Motor Speedway race, which ran on Monday. Now it turns its attention to Kansas Speedway for this Sunday's Advanced Health 400, the 12th race of the season. It's the quarter mark of the 36th NASCAR Cup Series schedule, the 36th race. It's in the heartland of America, and groundbreaking for Kansas Speedway was held back on May 25, 1999. The official opening of Kansas Speedway was in 2001, with the first NASCAR Cup Series race being held on September 30th of that year. And that first race was won by Hendrick Motorsports driver, NASCAR Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon in a Chevrolet. And Gordon would actually win the first two NASCAR Cup Series races held at Kansas there in 2001 and 2002. During the 2012 season, between the April and October events, the 1.5-mile Kansas Speedway track underwent a repave, which added variable banking in the corners, bringing them to 17 to 20 degrees. The advancement opened up racing lanes from the apron to the wall and has become a driver favorite. In total, there's been 34 NASCAR Cup Series races at Kansas Speedway, one event from 2001 to 2010, and then two races per year since 2011. 
Those 34 Cup Series races have produced 18 different pole winners and 18 different race winners from 01 to 22. Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick leads the NASCAR Cup Series in poles at Kansas Speedway with five in the fall of 2013, swept in 2014, and got the spring race of 2018 and 19. And look at this weekend, eight of the 16 NASCAR Cup Series uh, Kansas pole winners are active. I mentioned Kevin Harvick with his five. Joey Logano has two in 18 and 15. Martin Truex Jr. also has two in 2017 and 16. Tyler Reddick picked one up in 2022 as well as Christopher Bell. Ryan Blaney has one from 2017. Brad Keselowski was in 2015. And A.J. Allmendinger back in 2012. When we look at wins, Jeff Gordon with three of 2001, 2, and 14. Jimmy Johnson in 2008, 11, and 15. Kevin Harvick in 13, 16, and 18. Joey Logano has three from in 2014, 15, and 2020. And then Denny Hamlin in 2012, 2019, and 2020. And they lead the NASCAR Cup Series in wins with three each. And this weekend, nine of the 18 NASCAR Cup Series Kansas winners are active. We have all those uh, mentioned with three victories. Go down to Kyle Busch has two. His was in 2021 and 2016. Brad Keselowski also has a pair in 2019 and 11. Mentioned Martin Truex Jr.'s sweep in 2017. Bubba Wallace got his last year at 2022. Kyle Larson was in 2021. And Chase Elliott in 2018. Now, this weekend's Advent Health 400 at Kansas Speedway is scheduled for the 267, 267 laps, which is 400 miles. I think uh, Sharon broke these into the three stages. The first is lap 80. The second stage is 85 laps. And the final stage will be 102 laps. And look for on-track activity scheduled to begin Saturday, May 6th, with practice and bushlight pole qualifying from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Both events will be live uh, televised on FS1. Okay. Uh, and our final segment here is about Martin Truex Jr. Again, it was a Truex kind of weekend this past weekend at Dover. He became the eighth different Cup Series winner of the season. He snaps that 54-race winless streak at Dover on Monday. Now, Joe Gibbs Racing's Martin Truex Jr. has become the eighth different winner this season to earn a spot in the Cup Series playoffs and the NASCAR All-Star Race that will take place at North Wilkesboro Speedway on May 21st. As the latest winner this season, Truex now has joined the postseason-bound Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who won at Daytona, Kyle Busch at Fontana, and Talladega William Byron at Las Vegas and Phoenix, Joey Logano Atlanta, Tyler Reddick Austin, Kyle Larson, Richmond and Martinsville, Christopher Bell, and Bristol Dirt. And with eight drivers having already secured their spot in the postseason, plus the series points leader, Trackhouse Racing's Ross Chastain, are all guaranteed a spot, which leads to seven spots still up for grabs as the series heads to Kansas for that Advent Health 400 on Sunday. Now, Dover, the Dover win will usher Truex into his 10th appearance into the playoffs, tying him with Brad Keselowski and Carl Edwards for the eighth most playoff appearances all time since 2004. 
In the 11 starts this season, Truex ranks fourth in the driver point standings, having posted one win at Dover, two top fives, and four top tens. Now, don't expect Truex to slow his pace at all this weekend to Kansas. In 29 Cup Series starts at the 1.5-mile track, he has two poles, two wins, which was that 2017 sweep, 10 top fives, and 16 top tens. He's also led 825 laps there, and he has an average finish of 12.2. So uh, we have a lot to look forward to this weekend out at Kansas Speedway. And what's cool about this particular race, uh, Jay, is that um, they're going to come back to this track during the playoffs. So these teams are going to be trying to gather as much information as they can uh, as they prepare for the playoffs, especially those drivers that have already made their win. Most certainly, and we heard this from uh, Ty Majeski in his interview when it came to the, comes to the truck series, uh, more prevalent as well in the cup series when you come to a track that you do visit twice and that second one is in the playoffs. I mean, that is huge. And we've seen it in years past. Uh, right now, you know, you look at Trackhouse Racing kind of having a stronghold on the track. Bodes well for Bubba Wallace and uh, Tyler Reddick in that 45 machine. I uh, hadn't really thought about that. I know AMD took him as a, as a first pick um, in our fantasy group that that is the team and car and team that has actually won the last two races. Absolutely. Um, now, I'm going to go and highlight now, because we do have a little bit of extra time here before we start Hot Topics. Um, there's uh, some news stories that have been coming out. NASCAR has been announcing their top 75 greatest drivers list, and it's really winding down. Uh, Jay, Sam Ard is the latest driver to be named to NASCAR's uh, 75 greatest drivers. He's the former late model sportsman uh, driver. Ard continued his tradition of winning once the tour was elevated to a NASCAR National Series in in 1982. He scored 22 wins in three years of competition in what is now called the Xfinity Series, rolling to a championship in consecutive years in 83 and 84. However, after a head injury at the close of the 84 season, he ended his driving career, and Ard remained in the sport as a team owner. Jeff Burton's very first victory came in an Ard Motorsports car. So uh, really cool to see the names that are popping up on this list. And I know uh, we'll probably mention a few others here uh, as we go over some of the news, the most recent news. Well, and I know I think yesterday's maybe was it was uh, Larry Pearson then? Was that, was that yesterday's? Because I actually – or I'm sorry, Larry Phillips. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that was one uh, – I hadn't heard yet uh, today's as far as Sam Art. This is one of those topics, and I know I had put it up when they first started it under hot topics, um, but because they aren't complete, uh, we hadn't really gotten to it, and we've had some other news to talk about. But is one of those things that is so tough. Uh, initially, when I saw some of the first names coming up, I thought, well, what about some of these drivers like? Sam Art, I think, is a good one. But there is such a strong case to be made for some of these other drivers uh, I know I was listening on the radio, I think, when they announced Greg Biffle. He was 30, 30-some points um, back when he was racing, 36 points, where they said it would equal about seven points 
from being the only driver to win at all three of NASCAR's top level, the championship. Uh, he's got a truck series championship and an Xfinity series championship and finished second by 36 points. And in today's points, they, they estimated that to be about seven to eight points. Um, so that close to being the only driver to win in all three of NASCAR's top series. Because uh, that was one that kind of surprised me uh, that he was that early on the list. Not that he didn't deserve to be on the list. And I know Dave Moody talks about it when they do the same with the Hall of Fame. Um, it's not about whether or not they deserve to be in there. It's trying to rank of who goes first, you know. Um, so that's a, it's a really cool thing. The one thing I do really like about the way NASCAR is doing this, I don't know if you saw, I know Brad Keselowski's, they had his daughters come on Race Hub. Um, Randy LaJoy uh, was presented his by his son, uh, Corey, on uh, his podcast. They've done some really cool things in how they present the, uh, these, inform these drivers. Um, yeah, Harrison Kyle Burton, Arson, his dad, yeah, Jeff. Uh, Kyle Arson's was kind of funny. They, he got a phone call, he said, from Mike Helton, like right after uh, uh, trying to remember what race it was. And he thought he was in trouble and going to be suspended <laughs> late in the week because it was a Thursday. He said that's what went through his mind was, man, it's this late in the week and they're going to get me. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, they, they've done some really cool things with that. <laughs> they really have. Uh, and, and speaking of Brad Kozlowski, uh, he's got a checkered flag foundation that's partnering with RFK Racing. Uh, Kings Hawaiian uh, is also going to support military heroes. So uh, Brad has always been – an advocate for the veterans and heroes in our military. So uh, for him to do this as a tribute to the veterans program is uh, no real surprise. But Kozlowski will drive the NASCAR Cup Series race at Pocono Raceway on July 23rd. Uh, But he actually is going to start this on May 3rd uh, with the friends and family can submit a hero's name to be featured on that number six Kings Hawaiian Ford Mustang that Kozlowski will drive at Pocono on July 23rd. So uh, if you've got somebody that you want to be honored, uh, you can submit that uh, to Brad Kozlowski, and he will carry that name. makes me want to enter my dad's name. <laughs> yeah, that is one, uh, you're right, being a military member um, that I've always been aware of. I, I believe this is the third year he's done that where – um, with the name submission that you mentioned um, of putting a, a person's name on the car um, that gets submitted. And I, and I don't know how many they get in, but it is a really cool tribute. Brad Keselowski has always been very uh, supportive of the military troops. Yes, he has. So it's good to see him continuing on with that uh, tradition. Also, it was announced uh, this week. Let me see if, where I saw it. I just thought North Wilkesboro Speedway is going to host an open house on May 10th, so that's coming up. The public is invited to a free North Wilkesboro Speedway open house and to be a part of history in an opening night debut of some of the new renovations that have been made at this uh, short track. The open house is set for Wednesday, May the 10th, from 5 to 9 p.m. Operations continue for the prestigious May 16 to 21 NASCAR All-Star Week. So that's pretty cool to see uh, them opening the house, if you will, uh, for fans to kind of check in and see how things are going over at North Wilkesboro Speedway. 
there is so many great aspects to this North Wilkesboro deal. Um, I know I've seen a lot of it of the, the remodeling they've done, but also then leaving what call it vintage or historic look to it as well. Uh, when you come, I think they had, and I don't remember who had it on Twitter, the, the what do you call it, uh, gateway or arch as you go into the track, um, still having the original sign and look to it. Um, the things that they're doing to preserve that, as well as though then upgrade it to a current modern-day facility and usable for such an event as we got coming up here for the All-Star Race. I think they're doing a phenomenal job with all of that. They really are. They really are. Uh, Okay, we're coming up to the bottom of the hour here again, and that means uh, we need to start getting ready for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. I know joining us uh, for tonight is going to be Mike Orzel. He's not here yet. Uh, but um, uh, I know we have quite a few hot topics to uh, talk about. Uh, is there anyone um, that, uh, well, let's do this. No, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Is there any hot topic that you want to make sure we discuss and maybe get started with? Well, unfortunately, I didn't get to hear it, but uh, as I got out of the vehicle to come here, uh, come here and do the radio show, uh, Josh Berry was coming up on Dave Moody's show. Uh, I know you listed it here as Josh Berry and KHI. Uh, the tweet from Adam Stern is Josh Berry finalizing a long-term management deal with KHI management. Um, Berry has become a highly rated driver in the NASCAR in the past, uh, in, the, in NASCAR in part through the super sub role. He's played with Hendrick Motorsports. A lot of people thinking he's in line for SHR's uh, spot with, Kev- with with Kevin Harvick retiring. I don't. It's not you know Kevin Harvick doesn't only sign four drivers or whatever, but um, there's a lot of talk about that that he's the leading candidate for SHR to replace Kevin Harvick. Yeah, that has been a big topic. Let me see if. Um... Mike is here yet. Mike is not here yet, so I guess I'll go ahead and and give my comments on that. Um, yeah, this is this was kind of a, a big news story earlier this week, um, and uh, I don't think it's a surprise. Josh Berry really has done a great job as a super sub at Hendrick Motorsports. First for Chase Elliott when he was out for six weeks, and now for. Um, Alex Bowman, as he recovers from his back injury uh, from a sprint car incident. So I think Josh Berry is certainly deserving. Uh, it it kind of does kind of uh, pre, it seems like a precursor to him taking that spot at Stuart Haas Racing uh, with the KHI management interest in him and signing with them as representing him in the sport. So I think it does make sense uh, for him to go and to move over to that number four team at uh, Stuart Haas Racing, uh, taking the reins from Kevin Harvick in that number four, um, and and with Kevin Harvick kind of managing his uh, his uh, brand, if you will, uh, as a race car driver. Um, he's done a great job at the track. I, there's been uh, times that he's uh, raced better than some of the uh, superstars 
uh, in this sport. So I don't find it a surprise to uh, hear the chatter. And and let's just reiterate, this is just rumor at this point. Uh, We don't know that, in fact, this is what's going to happen. It just appears to be a precursor to what we think will happen. So it is a a rumor at this point. But uh, it seems to make sense, Jay. And, and Mike is not here yet, so if you have any other comments, go ahead. Well, and this is one that we talked kind of about with Toyota and with Legacy Motor uh, Motor Club switching from Chevrolet to Toyota. Those were kind of the ones you looked at with Hendrick Motorsports and then a little bit with College Racing and then GMS, now Legacy Motor Club, as being the... Chevrolet teams that were drawing from junior motorsports. And I say that because that's where Noah Gregson went from junior motorsports over to uh, Legacy. And, and they are full up right now when you talk about those teams. So mm-hmm. I, I little, little surprised again, junior, and I don't think Dale Earnhardt Jr. would by any means want to hold anybody back from a cup ride no matter where it is, but would also kind of like to keep them in line with Chevrolet. The only other spot, and I haven't heard anything, but would be College Racing as a Chevrolet team. They got A.J. Allmendinger and Justin Haley. Allmendinger wasn't looking to go full-time, but ended up in that position. Justin Haley, uh, you know, has shown signs of um, top performance, but not consistency. Um, So that might be a Chevrolet spot. Now, from the Ford side or any other top team when you look at it you definitely would look at his name and try and get him from whatever manufacturer he's under because as you said with getting these limited starts i know he got a second place i believe it came at richmond um just showed the improvement that he had in those starts he had for chase elliott and doing a well again here for alex bowman in that number 48 so from their side of it they want the talent. Uh, you know, uh, if you got to go outside the manufacturer, so be it. Uh, absolutely. And I'm pulling up. He comes from Hendersonville, Tennessee. Uh, and I just want to pull up his NASCAR Cup Series starts. Last year he had two starts uh, and didn't have any top fives or top tens or pole awards or anything like that. This year he's already had six starts. He's got one top five and three top tens on the year. So that just kind of shows you uh, how well he's done as uh, in that subbing role at uh, Hendrick Motorsports this year. So I don't know, uh, Andy, can you, uh, Andy, Jay, are you able to text uh, uh, Mike and just see if I did, he's going to come I did on s- board here? I did send him a tweet to, to see. I can try and tag him in the group as well. Yeah, I've already tagged him in the group. That's why I thought maybe you could send him a text. But All right, I'm getting there again. Okay. So uh, we were expecting Mike to be here, and apparently he's either forgotten or uh, the time has slipped away from him. So we'll see if we can't round him up. But, uh, yeah, Josh Berry has done such a great job in that super sub role. And college racing would make sense, too. That was the one thing I was going to come back with, Jay, is that the only thing that doesn't make sense about him going over to Stuart Haas Racing is that he'd have to switch manufacturers in order to do that. He'd go from the Chevrolet 
of the Junior Motorsports Organization to the Fords of the Stuart Haas Racing, which, by the way, Stuart Haas Racing was the last team that pulled off a major uh, manufacturer change uh, when they announced that they were changing over to Fords uh, a few years ago. So, um, uh, yeah, this was this was kind of big news, and uh, I think it's going to be great uh, that uh, we are um, going to uh, uh, find out what's going to happen with Josh Berry for the 2024 season since he's done such a good job uh, behind the wheel in the Cup Series in this 2023 season. On a very limited basis, he's had really good results. So uh, we'll see what happens. I was hoping Mike would uh, get here so that we could get his point or his point of view on this, uh, and hopefully he'll jump on board here in just a few minutes. But, Jay, did you have anything more uh, that you wanted to say? Yeah, the other thing is, is when you look at it, and, you know, there's obviously a loyalty when it comes to racing with a particular team or manufacturer, but also, you got to look at, I believe, either 31 or 32 years old for Josh Berry. He doesn't have the time to wait. Again, just say if he were specifically looking to go under uh, Hendrick Motorsports, they're pretty solid with Chase Elliott, William Byron, Kyle Larson, and Alex Bowman. Um, and that's why you got to look then to another Chevrolet team. But again, there are only so many spots. So if you have that opportunity um, to go from one brand to another and we've seen it more so from toyota because they're more log jammed at the top nascar top level which is changing in the in the next year um that we've seen more of it team drivers developmental drivers leaving leaving toyota to go to another brand we don't see that a whole lot from chevrolet to another brand but again that's becoming an issue um especially when you talk about top teams Absolutely. Better late than never. We do have Mike Orzel now uh, on board, so welcome to the show, Mike. Well, I'm not sure how much better is better, but I swear, I just got sucked into a time warp. Last time I looked at the clock was about 45 minutes ago, and I got sucked into a project. So sorry about the late call-in. Here I am. Heyo, everybody. (laughs) Heyo. Okay, we are talking about Josh Berry and uh, signing with KHI Management and wondering if that's a precursor to him going to the number four at Stuart House Racing next season. Uh, and then, you know, there are other rumors out there about where he might end up, but uh, what are your thoughts about him signing with KHI? Well, KHI doesn't necessarily mean that it's any sort of affiliation to Stuart Haas Racing or even Ford in general. Keep in mind, KHI is a representative for a lot of different drivers across all the manufacturers and all different levels within the sport. So, yep. yes, it's great that he's, he's on one of the big, uh, the big sponsor, or not sponsor, but uh, talent representation companies, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's got something lined up with the Cup Series or that he's going to go into the number four when Kevin Harvick retires at the end of the year. Uh, great things for Josh Berry for sure, but I'd be cautious about reading too, too much into this as far as the tea leaves are concerned. Now, there are other rumors that Josh Berry does have a cup ride lined up for next year. No indication about what team that would be with. Obviously, he's serving a backup role for Hendrick Motorsports right now, but unless one of their drivers gets long-term injured, it's unlikely that Josh Berry is going to go into one of the four Hendrick Motorsports cars. So that leaves the big question of where would Josh Berry land from there? 
Well, Chevrolet just lost two cars with uh, Legacy Motor Club going to, to Toyota next year. So there's two Chevrolets off of the board right there. Um, looking at colleague racing, that's a possibility, especially if they were to expand to a third car, although I'm not sure if that's within the realm of what colleague wants to do. Richard Childress Racing looks like they're fairly set with Austin Dillon and Kyle Busch there. And also Richard Childress has Austin Hill and Sheldon Creed in the Xfinity Series, both developing towards potential eventual Cup Series entries. So I'm not sure if Josh Berry would end up there. So that leaves the question mark of where could he go? We talked about Stuart Haas racing with the number four car. Don't forget that Eric Amarola also tried to retire last year, was unable to do so, so he's back for this year. But it's yet to be determined exactly how much longer Eric Amarola is going to stay in the Cup Series. He may be moving on down the road, and that could be a potential landing spot for Josh Berry, if not that number four car. The other potential would be over to Toyota. Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex are both reaching towards the end of their Cup Series career just based on one, Martin Truex has expressed interest in retirement. He's kind of on a year-to-year basis of whether he's coming back. And also, Denny Hamlin is also at that age where most drivers tend to step away in their early 40s, and there's Denny Hamlin right there. So the number 11 or number 19 at Joe Gibbs Racing are also two potential top-level cup rides that Josh Berry could slot into. It'd be a big loss for Chevrolet to lose Josh Berry to Toyota, but that's kind of how the business works sometimes. Yes, indeed. Jay, you have any uh, follow-up there? No, the only the only interesting thing there that uh, Mike added, we had kind of uh, gone over um, some of the similar points, is if a team were to add a third team, and you mentioned college racing, um, that isn't something that I had actually considered of the possibility of expansion when it came to that particular Chevrolet team. So um, there certainly is possibility there. I say I, I hated that uh, the timing just didn't work out. Josh Berry was supposed to come on uh, – Sirius XM Speedway with Dave Moody, hoping to get a little more insight to his future, but I know Moody said that nothing was ready to be officially announced even on his show yet. <laughs> okay. And and I agree with you guys. I think it's great that he's signing with KHR Management. Uh, Kevin Harvick's uh, uh, organization has proven to be a good uh, management group for drivers. And uh, I think that uh, they were very smart in snatching up Josh Berry as quickly as they did. Um, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see where he does go. Uh, and I guess we'll just have to wait for the 24th season and, and silly season to continue in its full swing on where that might be. But uh, you guys bring up some really great um, uh, potential options for Josh Berry, so we'll wait and see what happens. Mike, did you have anything more that you wanted to say? No, I think that about covers it. Like you said, it's still very much wait and see. Um, these are Things are stepping in the right direction for Josh Berry, but there's still a lot of information that we don't have regarding his plans for the 2024 season and beyond. He may end up in the Cup Series. He probably is, has earned that opportunity. But as we know with this industry, skill and even money only gets you so far a big part of this, especially getting into the Cup Series, has to do with just luck and timing. Right now, Josh Berry has some great luck. He's met some great people and, and got in with some great organizations. But as we've already established, his timing might not be the best, especially if he's trying to stay in a Chevrolet. Chevrolet looks fairly secure for the upcoming future. So, unfortunately for Josh Berry, it may put him looking elsewhere for a full-time NASCAR Cup Series ride, and we'll have to see where he does end up for next season. All right. Uh, Mike, why don't you bring up our next uh, topic here? 
Well, the appeals panel appears to be back on NASCAR's side. It was announced earlier this week that Richard Childress Racing had lost their appeal. Remember, they were penalized after Martinsville for modifications to the underwing or underbody wing assembly. And what I really like here is that the appeals panel did submit a reason for why they denied the appeal. And to quote a tweet from Bob Prokris, as submitted, the nuts are not a thread-locking device. They are connected and part of the turnbuckle. The nuts do not lock the assembly. Therefore, the assembly has been modified. So I really, really like that instead of this, this binary yes or no, we get a little bit of reasoning behind it for why RCR lost their appeal. Jay, your thoughts? So it has to do with nuts and bolts. Um, that's, you know, again, I'm not a technical guy. So from that aspect, I don't know what they did wrong or supposedly, but like Mike said, the fact that it is now provided of why. If you are a technical guy, you can go, oh, okay, I see it. Uh, for me, it's still a matter of, okay, they were told they did wrong, uh, period, whatever it was. Um, but I do like that aspect. And I think the other aspect of it is, as you said, we saw on that as well, that RCR won't appeal it, being that this decision has been made. I think the fact that they know they are going to lose some points regardless, even if it is reduced, unless they adamantly feel they didn't do something wrong and might get all of it taken away, the chance that it's not overturned but it only reduced maybe isn't worth it like it was in the past where maybe the they'll only get fined and not points. So I think it's going to change the way teams look at the appeal process. Now they did appeal it to begin with, um, but got told no, and it stay, everything stayed the same. So I don't see them taking it to that next level. I don't think we'll see as many go to the final appeals office uh, as we have in the past, but I'm with Mike. I like the fact that the explanation is being given. Whether I understand it or not, that's a whole separate topic. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I think it's great that these guys are being more transparent with this appeals process and giving us the reason uh, that they're upholding the the, uh, penalty or if they should uh, not uphold the penalty, why they made that decision. I think that it really aligns the appeals process with what NASCAR's goals are uh, by telling them, uh, when NASCAR made the modifications to the appeals process, they said that they can't modify uh, the penalty itself. Uh, if, if they make a change in one part of the penalty, they have to make a change in the entire uh, part, uh, the, all parts of the penalty. So, for instance, there was a 60-point penalty, five playoff point reduction, and a 75K fine uh, for the crew chief, Keith Rodden. So if you make any change in any one of those areas, you have to change the rest of those areas as well. It cannot be uh, changing just one part. So I think that the changes that NASCAR made put them more put the appeals process more in line with what their goals are. Uh, and their goal, by the way, is to create parity within the sport. And that's why they're being tougher on these penalties uh, with regard to modifications to the car uh, with different parts of the car and with the uh, spec parts for the car. So um, I like it, and I like that the appeals uh, now has to give us a reason uh, for why they didn't uphold it 
uh, or why they are upholding it. And in this case, Jay's right. I don't necessarily understand all of the uh, nuances of this, but it tells me that they did something that was illegal to their car, and the appeals process uh, justified that, yeah, in fact, the penalty was appropriate. So I like it. Mike, what are your thoughts? All right, so I'm going to try and break this down. I'm, I'm obviously not – I don't work for Richard Childress Racing, nor was I on the appeal panel, nor was I privy to <laughs> anything that was actually discussed at the panel, but I do know nuts and bolts and cars. So um, there's a couple different types of fasteners that can be used, nuts and bolts and, and whatnot. And it sounds like if you ever use those, uh, those nuts that have a little nylon insert in them, those are called lock nuts. They're designed to keep the, the nut from backing off of the, the threaded – assembly in order to keep it all in place. And it sounds like that's what the teams are supposed to be using. RCR, based on the the reasoning from the panel, what they gave, it sounds like they used a different nut. And my guess is they're trying to be cute with this and use a different nut, and it probably puts the position of that part that it mounts, it, it positions it just a little bit differently. They figured they'd give them just a little bit of an advantage. And just because they used a different nut, they figured maybe, just maybe, they'd have the opportunity to play dumb, and that's probably why they tried it in the first place, and that's probably why they appealed it as well, thinking that maybe they could play dumb, feign ignorance, and say, hey, we used nuts. We didn't know that we were supposed to use these specific kind of nuts. They, you know full well they knew what kind of nuts they're supposed to be using, and obviously the appeal panel saw through that as well, and that's why they upheld the penalty. Again, just speculation on my part, but based on the reasoning from the appeal panel, again, why I'm so happy to hear it is we can kind of dissect it a little bit and kind of have an understanding of what these teams possibly tried to do and why NASCAR felt that merited a penalty. And it sounds like it was legit. That was why the, uh, the team was penalized and why that penalty was upheld, and I agree with it. Okay, Jay. Well, I spent the first round uh, applauding NASCAR. i got to applaud Mike here. You did a great job there of, it, of at least explaining the possibility of that, of having the nut that will give a little bit depending on what bolt it's on. If that loosens up, that gives some uh, range that they shouldn't be getting um, throughout natural wear or something. Um, so I appreciate that. And, and if that's the case, that certainly is. Like you said, they're trying to get cute. Uh, we've seen it in the past, putting little pinholes in things so air will move through it. Any little bit matters. So if they're using a non-locking nut that gives them that give, um, or even if they can possibly adjust it and try and say it happened during the race, um, you know, we've seen that before. Um, so appreciate that, Mike. You did a good job with that. And obviously the, uh, the appeals board there said, no, uh, there's a reason it's got to be a locking nut, and that's why it was, it was enforced. Yeah, and and it gives me conf- it gives me more confidence in the appeal process uh, with them doing it this way. Uh, so again, I, I have to I have to applaud NASCAR for making the modifications uh, that they made, and I think that they worked. And uh, I agree that the appeals panel did the right thing in this particular case. They upheld the penalty. So, uh, Mike, I don't have a whole lot to add here. Sorry, no, I don't have anything more to add on that one. I think that pretty well covers it. Okay, Jay, what's our next hot topic? Well, I want to see how you put it up here, Sharon. I know you had one up here on the interview Kyle Larson gave. Let me see if I can find it here. 
Um, oh, I'm sorry, Mike put it up. Mike um, put that up, yeah. You're right. Larson on the Chastain, uh, it's from a YouTube video. I don't know what channel, but um, it says, Larson on Chastain, not going to whoop anybody's butt, uh, as he put it. This is how you do it. Neither confirm nor deny any shenanigans and don't make direct threats. Um, but talking about an issue between Larson and Chastain in the interview that was given afterwards. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? Whoops. Yeah, I put that up there because, like I said, I thought it was a very well-handled interview. Obviously, Larson was upset. If you listen to Radioactive, he was very upset. Uh, he seems to have cooled down a little bit, at least by his post-race interview that was, uh, that was posted in that video there. But the thing I really liked about what Larson did there is, like I said, he didn't confirm or deny anything. And what I'm, what I'm referring to is later in the race when Ross Chastain was trying to chase down Martin Truex to, uh, to race for the lead, um, he was coming up on Larson because Larson was lap traffic at that point. And it looked pretty obvious that Larson was getting in his way, holding him up, and keeping uh, Ross Chastain from being able to, to catch Martin Truex. Um, and then a couple other Toyota teammates did the same thing. But it was notable that Kyle Larson did it because, well, Kyle Larson was the one who ended up with a torn-up race car because of the actions of Ross Chastain. Now, obviously, if Kyle Larson had said, yeah, I held up, uh, I held up Ross Chastain, I was hoping to ruin his day, there's a good chance NASCAR would have had their hands tied, stepped in, and put a penalty on Kyle Larson, the number five team, for manipulating the race or whatever terminology you want to use to describe behavior like that. NASCAR's made it pretty clear that they don't want that kind of stuff going on on the racetrack, but they've also made it pretty clear that when they have the opportunity to do so, they would like to call things like that racing incidents and leave them on the racetrack. Kyle Larson gave them that opportunity by not admitting to doing anything explicitly against the rules, and I thought that was really good. He also didn't come out and say, hey, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to rest Ross Chastain next week or anything like that, because, again, it would potentially tie NASCAR's hands of saying, well, you clearly have stated that you're going to do something. So if they do end up making contact for whatever reason at Kansas, that groundwork has been laid for NASCAR to say, well, you told us you were going to wreck Ross Chastain. And here you are the next week at Kansas wrecked with Ross Chastain. We have to do something about it. So I think that was really, uh, really well done by Kyle Larson, some good gamesmanship there. And uh, whether it's good or bad and, and what he ends up doing from it, I don't know. But just in terms of how to handle a media interview, Denny Hamlin should definitely be taking notes. <laughs> yeah, this is how a professional NASCAR driver uh, handles himself. And let's keep in mind that uh, Kyle Larson has been through the ringer himself, uh, starting with uh, being suspended by NASCAR uh, because of what he said uh, when he thought he was offline, he didn't know he was public, and he said some things uh, that he shouldn't have said and ended up having to go through sensitivity training and, and all of that. Um, so also, if you remember last year when he had the situation with Bubba Wallace, Bubba obviously was looking for a fight, and Kyle Larson made it clear that he was not going to fight him. Uh, so I think it needs to be said, too, that Kyle Larson is staying true to himself. Uh, he's not the driver that's going to uh, be fighting with other drivers on the track. And... Um, uh, I think he recognizes what his strengths and limitations are, and so he's not going to put himself in that position. However, he can do things like what he did uh, at the track this weekend when he held up Ross Chastain uh, and kept him from challenging 
uh, Martin Truex Jr. for that win at Dover. So <clears throat> Kyle Larson is a, is a smart guy, and he's going to do things the smart way. And you're right. I wish some of the other drivers uh, would use his example at this point and uh, maybe conduct their business kind of in the same way. But every driver has their own personality, their own way of doing business, and I, I get that. But I really like the way that Kyle Larson is handling it. He knows he's not a fighter. He knows he's not going to be putting up his fist and, and trying to knock somebody uh, down. He's going to do. He's going to handle his business in a much different way. So kudos to Kyle Larson and the way he handled that interview. Um, uh, he did say he's he's and you got to look at the way that the uh, interviewer asked that question too, uh, because they opened the door for uh, Kyle Larson to give the answer that he gave, and he he made it clear I'm not gonna I'm not looking for a fight I'm not gonna be the guy uh, that is gonna be fighting uh, with anybody. So, uh, again, kudos to Kyle Larson. Well, I don't think it's just about the interview. I think it is about on track. Um, everybody wants to go, hey, you penalized uh, Denny Hamlin, fined him, and took points from him for what he did. How come you aren't for this driver? How come you aren't for this situation? They're completely different situations. Look back to last year when Denny Hamlin, I believe it was at Pocono, kept Ross Chastain behind him. He went top to bottom, bottom to top, drove back and forth. Kyle Larson made it difficult for Ross Chastain to pass him. There is no doubt about that. I don't think anybody that watches that race could say otherwise. But he did not do it lane to lane and do it for multiple laps in a row. Second off, when we had the Denny Hamlin deal, he went backwards. He went to take a driver out. Kyle Larson did not go to take a driver out. He made it difficult to pass. That's his job as a racer. Second mm -hmm. off, if you want to look at the word manipulating the race and the results, if you pull over and let a driver go, are you not manipulating the results? You're not making them race hard and use their car to pass you? So you can look at it from that way. Uh, I think about, you know, and I think in the, even in this day, Ryan Newman is still considered one of the toughest drivers to pass, whether he was on the lead lap running for a win or a lap down. He was a difficult driver to pass. His job was to get the best finish for his driver or his car and his team, and he made it difficult on everybody. When I look at Ross Chastain, is he an aggressive driver? Yes. When is he aggressive? To take that position in front of him. It doesn't matter who it is. He is not going after that driver because it's this driver in this car. He's going at that driver because that's a position in front of him he wants. The situation with Denny Hamlin was, I want to go find this driver, this team, this, you know, and went after him. Mm -hmm. Chastain's is just, I'm just aggressive moving forward, whoever you are in front of me. <laughs> okay, Mike, your follow-up? Sharon, I thought you brought up some really good points regarding just how Kyle Larson is as a person and how he generally conducts himself. Uh, I think back to last year, Ty Gibbs was on the Dale Jr. download. And obviously, Ty Gibbs, especially last year, he's kept his head down this year, but last year, Ty Gibbs definitely had a reputation as a guy who maybe drives over his head, doesn't respect people, uh, and whatever, whatever you want to use to describe Ty Gibbs. But Dale asked him, what driver do you want to be like and Ty said Kyle Larson. 
And the reason that Ty wants to be like Kyle Larson is because he sees Kyle Larson as the guy who doesn't get heated about things. He doesn't do dumb things on the racetrack because he gets mad at another driver. He doesn't get on fights and, uh, on pit road, things like that. And for the most part, Ty's right. Uh, you very rarely see t- uh, Kyle Larson lose his temper. Kyle Larson will try and de-escalate situations. I can think of several instances where Kyle was involved in an incident on the racetrack, Chicagoland, a few years ago with Kyle Busch, for example, mm-hmm. where Kyle Larson ends up in, in the grass, and the team is on the radio trying to get him fired. Oh, man, they wrecked you. And Kyle comes, comes back. No, man, it was all right. It's just racing. So Kyle is probably one of the most level-headed guys that you're going to see on the racetrack in the NASCAR Cup Series, and, and it's great for him. Uh, that's why Bristol was so uncharacteristic with the incident that he had with Ryan Priest. It was really out of character for Kyle Larson. But I think this week was right back to form. Kyle Larson is a patient guy. He's a quiet guy. He doesn't take anything from anybody uh, in terms of you know, disrespect or anything like that. You're not going to push him around. But at the same time, he's not the kind of guy who's going to get heated and do dumb things that hurt himself more than others, kind of like Denny Hamlin does. And Jay gave a couple examples there where, Denny Hamlin did basically the same thing Kyle Larson did in a couple of different instances, except Kyle Larson did it better and smarter. Kyle Larson was able to hold up a guy on the racetrack and still make it look like racing. Kyle Larson was able to conduct an interview and not incriminate himself to the point where he gets himself a penalty. So much more intelligent way of going about things from Kyle Larson versus what we've seen from Denny Hamlin. And I think it's interesting to see the comparison, especially considering how much of a veteran that Denny Hamlin is in the series He's been in the Cup Series for well over a decade. You would think he would know better by now, but either he never learned or at this point in his career he just doesn't care. And you see what happens to him versus a guy like Kyle Larson who just does the same thing so, so much better. Exactly, and that's a good explanation for the fans that are asking about what the difference is because that is exactly what the difference is. Um, and, And Kyle Larson... Uh, I remember that race. It was at Chicagoland Speedway, uh, and my brother was at that race. And I don't know if you remember this, Jay, but my brother was livid <laughs> when Kyle Busch uh, knocked uh, Kyle Larson out of the race. And I told him, I said, listen, those guys were knocking each other around throughout the race. And even Kyle Larson said, listen, I did it to him first. I should expect it back. Uh, so it was quite the conversation uh, because my brother was so upset uh, about that finish uh, of that race. Uh, but I think he's come to realize, and in fact, he's even picked Kyle Busch a few times now uh, for the race winner. Uh, but I, he likes Kyle Larson, and he likes Kyle Larson a lot for all the reasons that Mike said. Uh, He's a professional race car driver. He handles himself in that manner, and he conducts his business in that manner. Um, Will he he have slip-ups here and there? He might. Uh, He has in the past, obviously, but I think that that overall he's learned from the mistakes that he's made, unlike Denny Hamlin, and he's done things in a professional way moving forward. So I I applaud him, and uh, I think he gave a good interview. Uh, but, Jay, I'm curious to hear your final thoughts on this. Well, and I don't know if this goes – yes, Sharon, I was there at that very race with uh, Kyle Larson, Kyle <laughs> Busch, and – with a crowd amassed around them in the pit area waiting to see a fight between the two of them, and they were hugging and laughing and, you know, great racing. Mm-hmm. I think Kurt Busch and Ricky Craven at Darlington. 
I mean, those two slammed the heck out of each other, but it was for racing for position for the win, one of the closest in, in history. Um, you know, and they both talk about that. They both did it to each other. They both understood it. When it comes to that, and I don't know for sure that it comes from the running your own team or dirt track team, when you're running these guys week in and week out, paying for your own equipment and having to rebuild it, um, that, hey, it's a racing incident. In that case, Kyle was on the receiving end of it. You know, and he said, hey, I did a little bit to him. I expect it back. You see that with a, no matter what side he's on. Um, I think at the Bristol interview when it came to Ryan Priest, that was one of the comments he made. He thought it was already done and over because they had both gotten their licks in earlier in the race. Um, so that was something that the comment he made, he's like, I thought it was already over. That's one of those as a true, as you guys have said, professional driver, put it behind you. Now for Ross Chastain, on the other hand, you can't always be on the dishing end of it and, oh, let's put it behind us. Well, wait, you you know, that's a little one-sided. I mean, that's one of those. I like him. I like the fact that he's aggressive and he admitted that the deal with Brendan Poole this past weekend was on him. Um, but there again, just saying, I'm sorry, and buying him lunch or whatever it was he said he was going to do, that doesn't make up for how he finished in the race, how where Kyle Larson finished in the race, or the torn-up equipment. So there is a line, um, but I also do like his aggressive style. Um, but there's a line, there's a balance. There's always that balance. Yes, indeed. Uh, Mike, you got another hot topic for us? Well, maybe this one will be a quick one, but uh, I can't help but think that the citizens of Chicago are finally suddenly happy about NASCAR coming to town, and there's a whole lot of other people in a lot of other cities that suddenly want NASCAR to come to town because the city of Chicago is apparently doing a lot of street repair and maintenance that has not been done lately to the section of the city uh, city streets where the NASCAR Cup Series race is going to be in. So apparently, if you want to get the roads fixed in your town, just have the NASCAR Cup Series come to town and... Well, they'll fix up the road for you. <laughs> Jay? Well, you know, I actually looked at this a little differently. Uh, that's, a, that's a perspective I hadn't really fully understood. I was thinking they might be frustrated because they're already being uh, delayed or have road construction and whatnot uh, now this early. But as you put it, Mike, well, it's getting some things fixed. So uh, I guess it's a different viewpoint on it. Um, but the fact that NASCAR is investing in the community, in the city, in bringing a race there, I think overall long-term, and I know we're looking at this when it comes to Nashville Speedway, the homeowners directly around the track are fighting it, and the city council is saying, hey, you don't understand what this brings to the community. And, and this is an example of, okay, we're getting some potholes and roads fixed that maybe wouldn't have otherwise, so... Um, you got to take the good with the bad. Uh, you, you want something good, you got to work for it and go through some things to get to it. So this is one of them. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, this has been a kind of a controversial race. I, I, there's a lot of things that are good about it for the city of Chicago, but there are a lot of things for the residents of the city uh, that are going to be a little bit of a hassle. And, uh, Mike, I have to applaud you for taking the situation and, and uh, a difficult situation and turning it into a positive. Uh, I like that trend for you. Uh, so uh, this, is, this is a good spin that they are getting their streets repaired uh, over time here. And I, I will say that they chose 
uh, if you're going to close the streets, the time that they chose was uh, a fairly good time. In the middle of the week, after the rush hour, 6.30 p.m., uh, they closed down the streets uh, between Jackson and Balboa. I don't know if you're familiar with the city of Chicago streets or not, but um, it's a fairly busy area and can be even at 6.30, but it's not that high-end uh, traffic time uh, where people are coming from work. Um, but there are going to be, and Mark's, this is just marks the first of a series of road closures uh, that are going to be uh, related to that first race uh, that's coming up here at, uh, actually, I think it's on July 2nd and July 1st. And um, uh, I know fans, and, and there are NASCAR fans in the Chicago area, but there are a lot of residents that are going to be um, sidelined, if you will, uh, because of traffic closures uh, and road closures in that downtown area. This is downtown Chicago, and these roads are going to be closed. These guys are going to be racing past Buckingham Fountain. Um, and, uh, again, there's a lot of things to be excited about, but there's a lot of reservations here as well. And one of them are the uh, road closures for the time of this race and the preparations uh, before this race. So we'll see how it continues to, to uh, work its way out. We just went through an election, and uh, there's going to be a new mayor coming in now in Chicago. Uh, and so uh, there was a lot of worry that he might put an end to the race uh, at uh, Chicago for this street race. But it seems like he's going to support this race. We'll have to see what happens after after the race, whether or not he's going to support moving forward with it. So uh, a lot of uh, music and entertainment that's going to be around this race. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. But I'm sure um, some of the, some of the uh, plus side is that they are getting their roads repaired in preparation for this NASCAR race. So thank you, Mike. Look, I am nothing if not a positive ray of sunshine on all subjects at all times. Just, just ask me, right? Um, but you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, there, there are definitely some uh, mixed opinions, we'll put it that way, regarding the, the Chicago street race. Um, some of the Chicago City Council, they kind of feel like they got bamboozled on this deal uh, where the city didn't necessarily get the best of terms of the agreement or maybe they weren't fully involved in the decision-making process. So there's definitely some hurt feelings involved there. Like you said, I think the 2023 race is, is about as set in stone as it's going to be, barring something really unforeseen. I really doubt they're going to pull the plug on it two and a half months out. So the, the, the Chicago street race is almost certainly going to happen this year. The big question, like you said, is what happens next year? Will they be invited back or even not invited, be able to negotiate a deal where they can come back? Um, that's, that's a big open item there. So well, step one, we have to see how this race goes. If it goes well, that's, that's a much better way, a position to negotiate from than if this thing's a disaster. So let's all really, really hope the Chicago street race goes well. Uh, they put on a great show. The citizens of Chicago have a good time and it makes up for the inconvenience that they're having to endure right now. And it, it, make no mistake. It is like you said, it's absolutely an inconvenience for the people who live in the, live and work in that area or have to drive through it. Because from now until after the race is done, probably a week or two at least after the race is done, there will be road closures, there will be traffic detours, and it's probably going to be kind of annoying if you live in that area. So hopefully the, uh, the juice is worth the squeeze, so to speak, 
and the citizens of Chicago, they get a good show out of it. The community gets a financial boost from NASCAR coming to town. And, oh, by the way, the potholes will be gone. That's a big plus, right? <laughs> okay. Okay, your follow-up. Um, I'm speechless. I got nothing followed. Mike being the uh, ray of sunshine and Mr. Positivity. <laughs> I, I got I got nothing I after that. I'm kind of in the same uh, boat there with you. Um, uh, but, Mike, it's a welcome change. We're very happy about that. Well, don't get too used to it. I'm sure something will come up. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't have a whole lot to add here. I think uh, uh, we'll, we'll just uh, enjoy the the race for what it is, and uh, we'll see what happens afterwards. All right, uh, Jay, anything on your bucket list here? No, I don't think uh, I think we hit the ones that we had for today. Okay, well, then uh, we'll go ahead and close this out. Uh, it is a podcast today versus a, uh, a live broadcast, uh, and, again, we're happy to do that. In order to get it in, it was either cancel the show or do a podcast earlier. So uh, I think this was a good option for us. I know, Jay, you're coming back uh, to co-host on Monday night because Sal is, uh, again, not available uh, to co-host on on Monday night. So we appreciate you uh, being available for our live broadcast on Monday night as we review the races at uh, Kansas Speedway this weekend. I know I'm looking forward to those. And uh, uh, we did play the media interview with Ty Majeski earlier in the show today, and uh, we hope everybody uh, takes some time to listen to it. He gave us some really good information about him and his career, and Jay and I brought up during our short track uh, conversation tonight that he's also going for a championship in the ASA Touring Series, so uh, Ty Majeski is on a roll this year. Uh, proud of him coming from the Midwest here. He's a Wisconsin native and uh, part of the Alan Kowicki Driver Development Program, uh, and uh, it's really uh, uh, playing well for Ty Majeski as he continues his career. So we hope to listen to that interview during our second half hour. Um, Jay, uh, do you want to start our roundtable here? <clears throat> All right. You can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And this weekend, uh, Saturday, I know Mike's got some, uh, he's going to have his car down there. It's the Market Street Festival in town. Uh, Tyler Marsh is playing some good Christian music from 1230 to 130. I hope to stop by and see Mike's car as well as some other race cars. Some of them I'm going to follow out, though, Saturday night to the baddest bullring in the south, Columbus Speedway, for the modified race this weekend. So get to drive five minutes to the track. I like that. (laughs) Sounds like fun. Okay, Mike. Give me Mike underscore is on Twitter. Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Like Jay said, I will, weather permitting, have the car out at the Market Street Festival this weekend. Uh, look for it next to the dumpster, probably really close to the barricades. Uh, therefore, <laughs> it will be with the rest of the trash and also in a position where it can't hit the barricades too hard. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, also, I've got hey, an article. You, you started it. That's uh, true. But uh, I just. I got an article that just went live on fans for racing regarding the difference between how IndyCar driver or IndyCar fans interact with their drivers versus NASCAR fans. 
I think NASCAR fans have a lot to learn in terms of respect of, of drivers' time and, uh, and their personal space. And I've, uh, check out the article see if you agree with me. And if you don't, let me know. Okay. Thanks, Mike. We appreciate that. And uh, I hope you guys have fun this weekend uh, at the Cup Show and just overall the racing weekend. Uh, I am Bamp Racing Site at uh, Twitter, Bamp Racing Blog and Radio, everywhere else, including uh, Facebook. We're also at BampRacing.com where we have our players. But our players available uh, via a lot of different mediums. You can listen to us on iTunes, TuneIn, uh, iHeartRadio, Amazon uh, Radio. We're available on a lot of different avenues for you to listen to our podcast. So uh, check us out, and uh, we hope you'll be back with us uh, for Monday night's show. And uh, we hope you have the race winner uh, from the Arkham and Art Series race uh, this weekend. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, having a good show on Monday night. So thanks, uh, Jay, for being flexible and doing the show as a podcast today. And uh, also to Mike, uh, we have flexibility as well here. So uh, thank you very much. And to our listeners, uh, we appreciate you tuning in to the podcast uh, this week and to our live broadcast moving forward. Okay, guys, I guess we're ready to call it a night here, or a day here at Pamper Racing Radio. Have a good one. Later. Good night, everybody. Enjoy your race weekend.